0: Hi, this is Joe Chambers. Welcome to Musicians Hall of Fame backstage. Today's guest is one of the most talented musicians, singers, songwriters, actors we've, we've ever interviewed. From my home state of Georgia, he's been in the business over 60 years, Ray Stevens. Ray is a recent inductee into the Country Music Hall of Fame as well as numerous Songwriting Halls of fame Ray had his own television show back in nineteen seventy on one of the three major networks he's uh currently has a show on p b s uh he he built one of the most beautiful nightclubs you could ever visit here in nashville His talent just is is limitless he's he's just a and he's just a great guy my friend, Ray Stevens. If you like what you see, be sure to hit like, subscribe, and the notification bell so you don't miss any of our new content. And for those of you who can help, we now have a Patreon account. Once again, the great Ray Stevens. Welcome to Musicians Hall of Fame. Today's guest is the great Ray Stevens. Ray, thank you for coming in. It's my pleasure. During all the craziness of this COVID thing, Um, so like I was saying, I got a phone call this morning on my way in, and it was from Mike Kerb. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go interview Ray Stevens for the show. And he goes, oh my gosh, we just signed him to a new deal and." So I said, well, we'll talk about it.
1: You want to add to his excitement? (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear he's excited. Uh, I've known Mike for 100 years and a great record man, no question about that. Uh, And I was with him as an artist on Curb Records years ago. And it's good to be back because I think he knows what he's doing. And especially in these times where... uh, the record business is in sort of, I guess you could say, a state of flux. And uh, he seems to be keeping his head above water with the curb records. And uh, so like, uh, like I started to say a second ago, I'm glad to be back with somebody who knows what to do in these times.
0: Well, he does. He's having hit records, you know. So um, anyway, uh, you're from Georgia. I'm from Georgia matter of fact the uh, the the guy who took my place in my band when I moved up here, his last name was Ragsdale
1: is that right
0: David Ragsdale and he's been playing with a uh, Kansas for thirty years or so now ah fiddle player but but i'm I'm just wondering if by chance she might be kin to
1: It's quite possible I don't know uh to explain uh, what you're alluding to here. my real name my birth name is ragsdale and uh, when i was 17 i was signed uh, to make uh, my first record with Capitol. ken nelson was the producer and he didn't like the name ragsdale and i said well it's gonna you're gonna make my mama mad yeah and he said well what's your mama's maiden name and i said stevens he said that's a good name so he uh, renamed me ray stevens i said now wait a minute you're gonna make my daddy mad. He said, well, listen, we can't please everybody. You want to make a record or not? And I said, yes, sir. Call me anything you want. Mm -hmm. So uh, it got changed. I was 17 years old. It worked. (laughs) Well, so far. Yeah. Speaking of Georgia,
0: Bill Lowry was a big part of your life there, wasn't he?
1: Absolutely. He was uh, the guy that got me started. Yeah. Music publisher. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, he uh, was just starting out as a music publisher. And uh, uh, I went to a little Baptist church close to my house. And my Sunday school teacher said, you need to meet Bill Lowry. I must have got up and played the piano and sang in church or something. He said, you need to meet Bill Lowry. And I said, who's Bill Lowry? And he said, well, he just started a music publishing company, and he's looking for songs. You do write songs, don't you? And I said, well, I do now. (laughs) So I went to see Bill, and he said, well, write me a song, lad. You remember, he always called all the young guys that wrote for him, Lad, hey, lad. So I wrote a song that night and took it back the next day, and he liked it. And on the strength of that song, he was connected. He knew people uh, in positions of high uh, importance in the record business, and uh, Capitol signed me. Ken Nelson signed me Mm -hmm. on the strength of that song. Did you
0: just continue as an artist yourself mainly, or or were you writing for... For other artists,
1: I wrote I wrote songs, and anybody that wanted to cut one, I was I was very happy to uh, let them do that. You know, uh, at first I was still learning a little bit how to write songs, and so I'm the guy that cut most of my songs. Yeah, but uh, I've, I've I've been learning to write songs ever since then. You know, I'm still learning.
0: I bought when they were
1: closing down
0: um, Southern Tracks studio, which was the Lowry studio. Right. I was so impressed with Mr. Lowry that I wanted to you know, to honor him here in the museum and, and along with Atlanta's music industry. So I went in and got his office, basically got his desk and his chair. And, right. And before we did the deal with the Grammys, we had to, to rearrange things kind of had recreated his office here and one of the records that was hanging in there was Ahab the A-Rab. Now was that?
1: Yeah, he published that. Let
0: me tell you about Ahab, the a the sheik of the burning sand. He had ems and rubies, just dripping off of him, had a ring on every finger of his hand. He wore a
1: big old turban
0: wrapped around his head and a scimitar by
1: his side. Every evening, about midnight, he'd jump on his camel named Clyde and ride. And uh, that was uh, one of the first songs I wrote. Uh, this was in 1962, and I had just moved from Atlanta to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And Shelby Singleton right. called Bill and said, would Ray like a job? And uh, Bill said, well, why don't you ask him? And so he said, you want a job? I said, doing what? He said, assistant A&R. And I said, oh, great. What does that pay? He says $50 a week. (laughs) I think that was the
0: standard back then, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: And I said, well, you know, Shelby, I'd love to, but I can't live on $50 a week. And he said, oh, and now you get to play on all the sessions. And I said, I'll be right there. Yeah. Because at that time, Mercury was cutting, God, 100, 200 sessions a year. And Shelby was the head of Mercury then. He was in charge of a national office for Mercury. Yeah. So I moved up here on January 2nd of, of 62 and went to work with Jerry Kennedy and, and the AR and r department uh, working for Shelby.
0: You know, we brought Ray Stevens to town. He worked as an assistant for me for many years and played piano on a lot of sessions and played trumpet on some, and he, he can play anything he picks up, including do write the
1: arrangements for all the strings and stuff. So I took him to New York one time and we did a session with Dusty Springfield, and he wrote all the string parts for the, all
0: the whole session. He's just, he's just really brilliant, isn't he? I mean, oh, yeah, he can play anything he picks up, you know. And, and such an unbelievable r- lyric writer as well. Yeah. Just There was only one Shelby. Such a unique guy, man.
1: Oh, he really was. And, you know, I had met him earlier, the reason he knew me. Uh, There's a little show out in East Point, Georgia. You know where it is. Mm-hmm. WTJH. But uh, they had a show on Saturday nights called the Georgia Jubilee, and uh, all the local talent, Jerry Reed, myself, would all go out and and Joe South and play the show. Uh, I think it was $50, too. And uh, they would book a a big name to come in, though, and headline the show so they could sell tickets. And uh, I remember Shelby brought the big bopper in, Mm. J.P. Richardson, and he sang Chantilly Lace. And the crowd went crazy. They had heard it on the radio and they knew it was a hit. Everybody knew it was a hit. And so I was on that show and uh, Shelby met me then. And so that's how he came to call me later to offer me the job at Mercury. But uh, I moved up and the first session, I moved up January 2nd and the first session was January 20th, my first session. Mm -hmm. And the night before the session, I had songs, but I didn't like any of them. So the night before the session, I wrote Ahab the Arab in a fit of panic and took it in, and I said, Chevy, let's cut this instead of these. He says, fine, do whatever you want to do. And so we cut it, and uh, sure enough, it was a hit. No
0: kidding. I mean, that was a massive hit.
1: (laughs) In Columbus, where I'm from, you couldn't
0: turn the radio on without that. Um, And then... um, I guess it was my freshman year or so in high school, we had an assembly one day at Columbus High School, and, and they, I, I think it was a senior class that had done some kind of skit to guitars in. Ah. And they were wearing leopard skin suits and everything. It was a massive hit. Then when I was in Columbus College, The Streak.
1: I said, don't look, well, yes, at it-
0: College! people were literally just walking up totally naked with a mask on.
1: Oh, my goodness!
0: Second, first time I've seen people wear a mask now.
1: <laughs> now they have to. Yeah, you know, they have to now.
0: They had to then to be totally, totally naked there. But um, <laughs> Have you always just been funny? I mean, did you just, was that oh, just... Oh, I don't
1: know. I, I, I've always appreciated humor and comedians. I really am not, I sort of consider myself a comedian at this point of my life, but back in the early days I I was just a piano player and a singer, and uh, I uh, told jokes on the side, you know, and wrote funny songs.
0: Well, you know, they say that that's really the hardest thing there is to do, is to is to be funny, to be a comedian, more so than being a serious well, I don't actor know. or something like I that. I don't know. But anyway, you scored at it big time. <laughs> so you got to Nashville and and... I've seen pictures of you with the A Team players at Columbia at the
1: Kwanzaa Hut. Right. Oh, I played on hundreds of sessions back in the old days. What's some of the ones you played on, uh, some of the artists? Oh gosh, I don't know. I really didn't One Day I remember Shelby was the producer and we cut three hits. We cut uh, Ahab the Arab in the morning, we cut Walk On By by Leroy Van Dyke mm-hmm. in the afternoon, both Lowry songs, by the way. Right. And then we cut Wooden Heart with Joe Dowell at 6.
0: Yeah.
1: Shelby was, man, if I, had
0: a, if I was on a record label, I'd want him to be the, the promotion guy. I mean, he was, he was telling me that when he um, did Harper Valley PTA, that he was literally taking, going to the pressing plant and taking the records and the boxes were hot that's how f- fresh the records were And driving them to the national airport to make sure they got on the planes cuz he knew how important it was yeah to get them distributed while they were while they were literally hot like Jerry Reed you know they're yeah. hot you're hot uh, yeah
1: well you know shelby was one of a kind yeah. no question about it
0: always always thinking you know always yeah. trying to come up with them a better way of doing things. Everything is Beautiful. Was that your biggest song, you think?
1: I would say it's the biggest song. The biggest selling record was A Streak. Really? Oh, yeah. But uh, Everything is Beautiful has been recorded by not only me, but a couple of hundred other people. Right. And uh, uh, that was a song I had <laughs> a brilliant mind here. I had. Uh, gotten a call from uh, Hal David to come out to California and listen to a Bacharach David song for a cowboy movie they wanted me to sing it in the movie I said okay I flew out and went to Bacharach's house and he played raindrops falling on my head and I said well thank you it's a great song but I'm going to pass because I've just spent two weeks in the studio recording Sunday morning coming down and I I if I don't put that out next i think somebody will beat me out with it and they said fine and they called bj and of course he had a big hit with raindrops but uh they put out sunday morning coming down by me and we sold 12. you know it wasn't a hit at all johnny cash cut it later and it was a big hit yeah but i had uh, banked a lot of a lot of uh juice on that song and it didn't turn out for me and i had just turned down raindrops and so I was, I was uh, just signed with Andy Williams' label, Barnaby. And they said, we need a song. And I was signed to host the Andy Williams Summer Show on NBC, summer of 1970. And they said, we need a song now for the first record that can be used as the theme song for this television show. So I said, okay. So I just chained myself to the piano and wrote till I thought I had it. And I wrote Everything is Beautiful. And sure enough, it uh, filled the bill, and it was the theme for that TV show on NBC. Plus, uh, it was a big hit record. Everything is beautiful in its own way. Like a starry summer night, a snow-colored winter's day.
0: Heaven, the world's gonna find well, getting back to Sunday morning coming down, Christofferson was blown away with your your version of it.
1: Well, I'm glad he liked it. He uh, sure wrote some great songs, and that was one of them. You know. Well, he was
0: saying that no one had ever spent as much time working on one of his songs. You know, trying to perfect it. He was very yeah. thankful. You know.
1: Well uh bless his heart i did spend a lot of time and uh, a lot of fred's money fred foster oh yeah fred i was yeah. on the monument at the time but he got it back of course but uh the money yeah but uh you know i was thinking boy this has got to be a hit you know well you were right well not my record
0: well you were right about the song though
1: yeah oh well
0: that's what when i used to work for billy Sherrill he used to say you know it's just a matter of
1: putting the the right artist. With the right. With the right song. Right. Yeah. I, I think, looking back on it, I think people could not visualize Ray Stevens singing a song about waking up Sunday morning stoned, you know? Right. So uh, I didn't have the image to sell the song. Yeah. I should have cut, uh, helped me make it through the night, because Beckham had three new Christopherson songs. and he was my good friend. He called me, Bob oh, Beckham. Mm-hmm. He said, come listen to these three songs. You can have any one of them you want. And I think it was... Uh, Sunday morning coming down, help me make it through the night and for the good times, or uh, one of those, me, me and Bobby McGee, and I took, I should have taken help me make it through the night, but eh, there you go, hindsight's 2020.
0: Yeah, well, hey, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back.
1: The Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum has been celebrating the men and women who make the music of our lives since 2006. The Musicians Hall of Fame is the one and only museum in the world that honors the musicians that played on the greatest recordings of all time. It's a music city, huh? It's, uh, I mean, where else are you gonna get the cats? All the cats that are in this room. From Hank to Hendrix, from L.A. to Nashville, the Musicians Hall of Fame will take you on a musical journey highlighting the talented musicians that created the soundtrack of our lives. Come see what you've heard. And while visiting, check out the interactive Grammy Museum Gallery at the Musicians' Hall of Fame. Located in the heart of downtown Nashville in the first floor of the historic Nashville Municipal Auditorium. See you soon at the Musicians' Hall of Fame and Museum.
0: Welcome back to Musicians' Hall of Fame with Ray Stevens. Uh, Like we were saying in the break, for me to interview, it's, it's, it's... there's so much to talk about with you that I really don't even know where to, where to start. You've had, you know, like you said, you had a, a national television show like Glenn Campbell did, and
1: yeah, well,
0: you, uh, you've had the all these hit records from from the funny stuff to the very serious stuff, and you've been a session musician and a record label industry person, you know. I and mean, it's just. Uh,
1: well, you know, I just decided that I was going to do this come hell or high water. My dad used to ask me, when are you going to get a real job? And I would say, well, I think this is a real job, you know. And he became a believer a little later. But uh, uh, I've been doing this now for 63 years. And uh, you know, I, know, I can't imagine having spent my life any other way. I've enjoyed it every minute of it.
0: Well, like we said, you just signed a new record deal. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I don't think we hit on this. It's, Mike Kerr was telling me it's a big deal. I mean, it's like five, five different albums. I have been in
1: a studio making records for, you know, several years now, and just what I wanted to record. And I have a concept for a box set. Uh, I recorded a, a thing called the Encyclopedia of Recorded Comedy Music. Several years ago. And uh, it's the concept is record all the big comedy hits down through the years. And it's got, a, I think, a shelf life that'll be pretty long. And I've got another idea. I'm going to call it. uh, Musical highlights or something like that of the 20th century. And I think it'll be a, a, a box set of over 100 songs, and the first five albums. What's five times 12? 60.
0: I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got mm-hmm.
1: 60 cut, and and that's going to be volume one. And then I'm gonna I'm in the process of cutting the six, the second 60, and uh, that'll be volume two. And the whole project will cover every decade of the 20th century. And my concept is to. Uh, make the, the, the box that it comes in, would have iconic pictures of the 20th century. And that w- they would range from everything from the uh, moon landing to uh, Marilyn Monroe's dress being blown up to the sailor kissing the girl on Broadway right. after World War II, the yeah. flag at Iwo Jima, you know, pictures like that. Yeah. And all these songs, uh, one from every, at least one, more than one for most decades, but... Uh, uh, songs from all ten decades of the 20th century.
0: Well, Mike wanted me to just make sure that you knew he was extremely excited about it. So well,
1: to, uh, I I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. and uh,
0: So you hit on something that nobody else had I'd ever seen do was when how did you how did you do the the deal with it was it was it Turner Broadcasting or. When you, when you start oh, selling Yeah, the, those the,
1: were uh, uh, you, you would uh, you would they would give you a 30 or 60 or 90 second spot right. and they would participate in the sale and my uh, videos would sell a lot. And so Ted Turner got a lot of that much some of that money and uh, it was they would show it during Braves games and uh, it was just. Very fortuitous that at that time there was so much time available on the cable channels to show the spots that we had made to sell that long-form video.
0: I mean, that's what I'm saying. You just kind of like just nailed it. I mean, that was if there was a time to do it, that was probably the the best time ever, right?
1: Yeah, Uh, (laughs) being at the right place at the right time uh, has a lot of merit.
0: And and you hit a nerve with a lot of people. I mean, you hit something. You know, a lot of people wanted. To have something that could laugh and you know well you
1: know the uh, the v h s machine had just come out mm-hmm. people wanted to buy something to play on their new v h s machine mm-hmm. and uh you had it they bought um, yeah. it yeah, that's great uh
0: something else I wanted to talk to you about um one one of the people that i was so um Proud to say, he was a friend of mine. Was Chet Atkins.
1: Oh wow, yeah.
0: Uh, and I, you know, they're. The, I just. Uh, That's not making them like that anymore. You know, to me.
1: Uh, well, he was. Uh, uh, speaking of a timely, uh, his his presence here was very timely. Uh, the music business was just in the right spot for him to be very successful. He cut so many hit records for RCA. Oh, me, either. you just can't count them all. And uh, he was my good friend. He used to call me and book me on sessions as a sideman or as a background singer or whatever. Uh, and at that time, I could use the money. Yeah. you know. And so I was very happy to uh, oblige and show up at the RCA studios and uh, be on a lot of Chet sessions.
0: the You're not going to remember this, I hope. But but, uh, it was my birthday. It was July 27th, 1978, and I had just moved here. And I had just borrowed 90 cents from my best friend that I had met up here to get gas to get back to my apartment. (laughs) And remember the, the Colonel Bill had those street parties behind CBS Records?
1: Oh, Colonel Bill
0: Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And so they had these, and you couldn't do this anymore because they were giving you know it was free beer and Coke and hot dogs and.
1: Oh, it was great. There was yeah. a
0: band on a flatbed out in front of Mercury Records out there. Right, right. And it's my birthday, and I'm I'm busted, and I've got, and I got a party, you know, right there behind CVS, and I look over, and there's you, and Chet, standing there talking, which is, and I'm you know I'm like, Ted Atkins and. Stevens are standing in the street and there's no security around them. I've got to take advantage of this. <laughs> so uh. I went over, I said, I just you know did the nerd thing and and said, Chet, I just I just wanted to shake your hand. And He goes, kind of you know a little Hes- bit hesitant, you know. And and I turned around, I walked back, and I was expected to get tackled by Secret Service or something. You know? uh. And I and I get about 20 feet away, and I turn around, and I look back, and 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 Chet still. <laughs> know kind of looking over his shoulder at me you know kind of he's probably worried a little bit too but i had no idea that he would end up being such a a dear friend to me you know and not and and i mean mean, he came i told i was we were interviewing don McLean a couple of months ago i think and and don was a big friend a fan of chet's Mm -hmm. too yeah and i was just telling him that you know chet came out to my guitar shop and got on a flatbed truck and played for my grand opening for me. For f- oh, great. And I was like, you know, who does that? You
1: uh, know? He would do that. Yeah. Sure.
0: And uh, anyway, he was, uh, I mean, he even, he said, um, now, Joe, you, uh, you had a song you want me to, you want Vince Gildy here? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, go give me a copy. I said, he was my song plugger. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, have
1: a chat for a song plugger. You know,
0: just, just what a, a, a wonderful guy, you know
1: yeah he was right. and I miss him. we uh We used to hang out a lot together. I threw him out of the golf cart one time <laughs> we were We were playing over at Hillwood. Uh, Chet and Bob Beckham were members of Hillwood Country Club. yeah and so I thought, well, I'm going to join Hillwood and play golf with Chet and Bob, you know, so I did, and we were, I was driving the cart, and i my drive I hooked it, and it went in the woods. And Chet's in the shotgun seat, and I'm driving up the hill from the tee box, and I saw, thought I saw my ball over to the left, and I said, there it is, and I did it. And Chet went out of the cart. He didn't speak to me for about three holes. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that.
0: And I, th- I think, you know, Steve Warner also feels the same about Chet, you know. and Oh, yes, Stevie. Uh, and Don Don Everly told me if it wasn't for Chet, there would have never been an Everly Brothers. Oh, yeah,
1: well, I don't. I don't know that story, but I don't doubt it.
0: He just know. said that, that Chet didn't look at our hair or where we were from. He just listened to the music. You know? Yeah. That was, that was the way he was. And yeah. You've built this incredible club, supper
1: club, right? I don't know. I, I call it a showroom. Show- and we have to we, we serve alcohol. And in order to serve alcohol legally, you have to serve food. So. I kind of patterned it after an old school Vegas casino club and I've played a lot of them down through the years and uh, so I've had experience on how they work. And uh, the cabaret, uh, I used a lot of the features of the Desert Inn when I built the cabaret because the the front stage goes out into the audience. I, I built my front stage lower than the one at the Desert Inn. But it's still, when I'd work the desert in, I could walk right out and shake hands with the people and the tables right up against the stage. And I could shake hands with the people that were there. They weren't in theater seating like so many places now. And it was just so much more fun Mm -hmm. to be able, if you're in the audience, to be able to sit at a table with your wife or girlfriend or friends or whatever, have a drink, have a sandwich or whatever and see the show and, I thought, man, at my age, I'm just going to do what's fun. Yeah. So I built the Cabaret, C-A-B-A-R-A-Y. And hey, what a great mis- name! Misspelled it on purpose. Yeah. Uh, to uh, to sort sort of incorporate all those features that those old places in Vegas used to have, and I, it's really a lot of fun. Uh, before we got closed down by the coronavirus, uh, we were going great guns and I think as soon as the vaccine gets distributed, mm-hmm. we'll be back in business. But right now, we can't, uh, we can't open because we can't sell enough tickets.
0: Well, it's a beautiful venue. And yeah,
1: well, thanks. And
0: I can't imagine what it took to design and build something like that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I just took notes from all my memories of uh, a lot of clubs that I've worked.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Ray, thank you so much for, for coming in. Thanks Come for to, having me. See you next time on Musicians Hall of Fame Backstage.